0: Well, good morning. I've been having a lot of fun this weekend uh, doing our sportsman's outreach. And it was cold and it was icy out there, but uh, we had a wonderful weekend. And God was doing great things here on this campus, and uh, we just want to thank him for that. But uh, some of you might be a little unfamiliar with our sportsman's outreach. This is the 17th year that we've designed a night to bring in the sportsman and to share the good news with them. And I have to tell you, they came. And this place, for two nights, was jam-packed, and it was full, and you could barely find a place to, to sit. And uh, this has been something that's grown into a bit of a community event for us. And so we invited people from the community. We had conservation officers here. We had, um, we had some the honor guard from the local sheriff's department was here. We uh, also had some gold star families that were here that we honored them and their fallen loved one. We had the Grand Traverse Pipes and Drums was here. And so it was a full uh, event and a full weekend. And the the whole event culminates with our featured speaker. And uh, we're excited that he's here with us this morning. And uh, Chuck McAllister came up from South Carolina with his wife Janice and On the phone before he came, I had to warn him when you get up here, you're not going to be in South Carolina anymore. It's going to be windy and it's going to be cold and the roads are going to be icy. And uh, he said, Oh, don't worry. We lived up north before when we lived in Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) And I said, He just doesn't understand us. He just has to wait till he gets here. But uh, we're happy that he's here and uh, he's staying warm. And uh, he did a terrific job reaching out and speaking the last couple nights. And we're so glad that he's here with us this morning. So, Chuck, if you'll come and could you welcome him with me this morning?
1: Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Dallas. And uh, it's just good to be back with you guys. I mean, you know, I've had the privilege of being here on quite a few occasions, and I'm kind of ADHD. have a hard time sitting down but uh, anyway uh, it's just just a great blessing to be here I use you guys all over the country I speak at these events on a pretty regular basis and you are the guys that are the quintessential church on how to do this and so I I tell people all the time you want to find out how to do one you call East Bay Calvary they know how to do these events they really do and so it is always a joy to come here I realize the foolishness of my statement now saying that I lived in the north in Louisville, Kentucky and we're flying out this afternoon when we left South Carolina on Thursday it was 81 degrees and blue skies and uh, we had an adventure getting here uh, and I want to express our appreciation to your pastor, Pastor Brian Uh, man just what a great man of God just getting to know him uh, Basically what happened is we arrived at uh, Chicago O'Hare Lake, ran to the next gate, the plane, they locked the gate at 1.20, we arrived at 122. And so the rest of the flights coming into Traverse City were uh, basically canceled, so we missed that flight. We had to fly into Grand Rapids, your pastor picked us up in Grand Rapids, he was coming through and I got we got to spend a great time talking with him and just enjoying ourselves and so hey look you guys hit a home run when you called pastor Brian to be your pastor he he is a great 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 blessing and he has a deep love for the lord it was just just the affinity that we have as we talk with each other it was just marvelous it's just wonderful we had a great time and what a great event you guys did a phenomenal job we had a 345 people that marked their cards that they prayed receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that in and of itself is just, is just huge. So just, uh, just thank you all for just having my wife and I back. I mean, we do feel like we're coming home, even though it is a little bit colder than our home. Uh, because we've developed such deep relationships over the years. You know, in the 17 years of doing this, I think I'm the only speaker you've had back three times. That either means you're really, really dumb or, you know, uh, you're halfway enjoying what we're doing. So, But just know how honored Janice and I are to be here. To spend time with you and the heart that you have for the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely inspiring in so many ways. This morning I want to talk to you about the question. It is a question that is shaping our world today. It is a question... That if you answer it wrongly in some places in our world today, you will be executed. Nations are rising and falling, boundaries are being drawn, and battles are being fought over this question. This question has already shaped and is shaping human history, but never more so than today. It's the question that draws a line through our history, through our world, through our nation, through our churches, through our families, and through our lives. Everything else pales in comparison to this question. It is the question that every single one of us at some time or another will have to deal with. You will have to deal with this question whether you want to or not. And you're going to have to answer this question. What is this all important question? It's simple. Who is Jesus? That's the question. Who is Jesus? You see, wars are being fought today. And people are being executed today based on how they answer this question. In fact, this question is so important, it is so necessary that Jesus even posed it to his disciples. He did it in two parts, by the way. The first part of that question, in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, he said to his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Of course, they had a ready answer. In verse 14, they came back in Matthew 16 and they basically said, well, there are those who say that you're John the Baptist and there are some who say that you're Elijah and there are others who say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know what's interesting? If you were to go out in Traverse City today and you were to ask that question, who is Jesus, you would get an answer similar to what the disciples were giving to Jesus. It's politically correct in our world today to say that Jesus was a great man. To say that he was a great prophet. To say that he accomplished great things. That he was a great teacher. Every major world religion says that Jesus was a great man. Hinduism, Shintoism, Buddhism, Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, Baha'i, Scientology. Even Islam all say in some way that Jesus was a great man. In fact, you know that if you read the Koran, which are what the, the uh, Muslims look to as their sacred writing, it has more to say about Jesus than about Muhammad. And it asserts that Jesus is, in fact, a great man. The view that Jesus is a great man is the view that dominates our world today, no matter where you look. But it's not enough to have that critically, politically correct view. Jesus didn't let his disciples get away with it either, because Jesus posed this question in an even deeper format to his disciples. He said to his disciples in Matthew 16 and verse 15, "But who do you say that I am?" But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter immediately answered. In the scripture, he says. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah. That means Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you got it right. And Peter didn't get a whole lot of things right. So this was kind of cool that he got this right. He got it right. Jesus looked at him and commended him for his answer. He said, See, here's the line of separation folks and here's what we're going to see in our world today when you cross the line and you say that Jesus is, is not just a great man but you start saying that he's the son of God and you start saying he is God then all of a sudden you become politically incorrect then all of a sudden uh, you are ostracized all of a sudden you are treacred Uh, treated in a very different way when you start proclaiming Jesus is God's son in an area dominated by radical Muslims you could be executed or even beheaded and they will wage war against you and seek to eradicate you and all who agree with you in America if you start asserting that Jesus Christ is not just someone come to teach us about God but is God come to teach us and you start proclaiming that he is God's son In America today you'll be ostracized we experienced this personally for 16 years and really what connected us initially years and years ago with East Bay Calvary was the fact that we had a hunting show on the outdoor channel and it was in fact the number one show on the outdoor channel for many of the 16 years of its existence we got a call and we were asked to come out to Temecula California we had started with the outdoor channel as a charter program I mean we were when, when the Outdoor Channel went on the air Adventure Bound Outdoors our program aired the very first night that it went on the air and so they loved us I mean we had a, a prime time slot in the Tuesday night pursuits lineup and uh, we were given a charter price so we, we didn't have to pay a whole lot of money which we loved it was great to have that slot and then we got a call. What happened is, after years of being on the Outdoor Channel, the man who started, who we had a great relationship with, passed away. and He left the channel to his son. And then his son sold it to a consortium of businessmen in Southern California. And so they said, well, it's time for us to renew the contract. And we said, great. And they said, come on out to Temecula. So we flew out to Temecula, California. We sat down with them. I knew we were in trouble when we walked into the room. We're wearing camo and they're wearing three-piece suits. And they looked at us, and they said, where have you guys been? And I said, well, we've just finished filming a a goose hunt. And one of them across the table said, do you hunt geese? And I thought, oh, no. They were very complimentary of our show. They said, hey, man, we love your show. It's a great show. We appreciate what you stand for and all that you you stand for. Um, We want to renew your contract. We want to give you the same time slot and the same rate. And I said, whoa, great, give me the paper, let's sign. They said, well, we're just going to make a little tweak in your contract. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, you can't use the name Jesus on the air. I said, what? I said, you don't understand That, that, that. That's why we exist. We average 300 men coming to know Christ every month through our hunting show. Because we always are sharing the gospel on our honey show. He said, yeah, yeah, y'all got to cut that out. You you just can't use the name Jesus on the air anymore. I said, but that doesn't work for us. He said, oh, you're not going to give up the number one slot on our network just because you can't use the name Jesus. He said, you can talk about God all you want to. You can say God bless you and God did this and God did that, but you just can't use the name Jesus. I said, no, you don't understand. I don't serve a generic God. His name is Jesus. And I don't need a hunting show, but I need Jesus. Well, I walked out of that room without a hunting show. But I still have Jesus. Because compromising on the fact that Jesus is God's son is something that we should never do. But I'm going to tell you the danger that we're living in. I think, and what we're struggling with in the church in America today, is this. There are a lot of people who talk about Jesus, who talk about wanting to serve Jesus, who talk about following Jesus. But let me tell you what they're doing. They're following the Jesus of their imagination. And I think if the church is ever going to be what the church needs to be, we've got to get away from serving the Jesus of our imagination, and we've got to exalt and serve Jesus as He is. And so in order for us to be able to do that and to help us, God gave us a portrait of His Son, a picture In fact, he gave us an entire book of the Bible. It's called the book of Revelation. You know what the title of that book is? It is the revelation, the apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And basically what God is saying is, let me show you who my son is. Let me show you what my son can do. Let me show you so that you are not serving the Jesus of your imagination. And so the book of Revelation actually exists To answer the question, who is Jesus? Well, I want us to look at just a portion of it there in in chapter 1. And I want us to get a picture of who Jesus is so that we can understand who he is and what that generates in our lives. How it should affect how we live. Jesus is described by 10 different statements in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And I want us to see those together. The first one, number one, is He is present. He is present. So spend time with Him. Spend time with Him. Notice what the scripture says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. John writing says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. Whoa, time out. Let's stop right there. I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do understand this. You don't see a voice. You hear a voice. But he turns because he expects to see the voice, because when he turns, he's not expecting just to see words. He is turning because he expects to see the logos, the word of God who is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And so he says, he turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So John, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, he's in his 90s, he's the last surviving disciple Domitian, the emperor of Rome, has done everything he can to try to kill John. Even legend tells us he tried dumping him in boiling oil. And John somehow survives by the grace of God. He's in his 90s. He's on a rock called the Isle of Patmos. And he's mining rocks. Can you imagine that? And God speaks to him. John stops. He turns to see what he expected to be the voice. And I'm sure that he thought about something that would later be written by him or may even be written in that same time frame. And that was in John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John knew by virtue of the character of the voice and by what he was listening to that he was turning to see that which had to be the Son of Of course, he saw him, now notice how he identifies him. He said he saw him like the Son of Man, and so he saw him in human form. He saw him as Jesus. And where is he? He's in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Those seven golden lampstands represent what he later will address as the seven churches, a representation of all churches, which is where Jesus is supposed to be. And and, and that's what the picture he's giving us Where does Jesus belong in our world? In the church. In the midst of the church. This is where we encounter Jesus. This is where we experience him. He is in the midst of the golden lampstands. You see, when the word of God is proclaimed in the church, Jesus is present. Praise God you've got a pastor that preaches God's word. Because that's when Jesus shows up. That's when he's present without being too critical, can I just tell you what I think the problem in a lot of churches are today? Jesus isn't present. He's not there. Because you may learn all kind of very cute things in church, but if he's not exalted and if his word is not proclaimed, he's not going to be present. It's kind of like the old fellow went to a sportsman's banquet. Never been to church before in his life. Ended up... Uh, Man, that night he got touched, gave his heart to Jesus. Hey, I mean, he was just, man, he, he got it. Well, you know, he realized his wife went to a particular church, so he probably needed to go to that church with her. And so he showed up the next morning just like he'd gone to the sportsman's banquet. And he's wearing his old camo and his old boots and got mud all over him and everything else. He comes walking in, he sits down, and immediately... I know this church doesn't have one, but there was a committee of little old ladies who would get upset about things. And uh, they were called the Old Biddy Committee. And so the Old Biddy Committee immediately began to talk. And they were all so upset. How dare this man show up? And he's not even wearing a tie. I mean, he's not dressed appropriately to be in church. That is terrible. That is just awful. And so they immediately went to the head usher. And they said, you've got to straighten this man out. He can't be just showing up in here. And so the head usher went down, he sat down next to him, and they knew him. His name is Sam. They put his arm around him and said, hey, Sam. He said, "Uh, glad to have you here. What's bringing you? He said, well, I went to a sportsman's banquet down at East Bay Calvary last night, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And I just figured I better be in church. And so I just got up this morning, and I came on in. The head usher said, man, Sam, we're just so glad to have you here. That is just so good. That is so cool. But i got to just talk to you about something, Sam. It's your attire. You're just, not a dress, you're just not dressed appropriately for our church, you know. In this church, we believe in giving your best to God, and we believe you ought, you ought to put your best clothes on. And and, 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 and that, Now, you can stay today, but please, 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 just, 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 just dress better next time. And Sam said, well, this is the best of God, man. This is it. And so the usher looked at him and said, now, did you accept Jesus as your Savior last night? Really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I made that surrender. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And so the head usher said, okay, okay, I tell you what, why don't you go back home this week and you talk to Jesus about what you ought to be wearing in church. Sam said, man, I'll do that. That's a great idea. So he goes home. Sure enough, the week goes by. Next week, Sam shows up. Same boots. This time no mud, they're clean. Same camo. Everything's the same. He comes walking down, sits on the front row. The old bitty committee went nuts. I mean, they're going out of their mind. They go to the usher. They say, "They had usher." They say, "We thought you were going to talk to him." He said, "Well, I did talk to him." They said, "Well, you got to take care of this." And so, sure enough, the head usher goes down. He sits right down next to old Sam, puts his arm. I said, "Sam, good to see you back again." He said, "Man, I, 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 thought we talked about this last week." He said, "What?" He said, "I thought we talked about your attire and what you're wearing." Oh, Sam said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that." He said, I thought you were going to go back and since you'd accepted Jesus as your Savior and talk to Jesus about what you should be wearing. He said, I did. He said, you talked to Jesus about it? He said, yes, I did. He said, well, what did Jesus tell you? He said, Jesus told me he couldn't rightly tell me what to wear to church here because he'd never been here before. Jesus isn't present in your church. You don't have a church. you got a social club. And that's why if he is present, you ought to be spending time with him. You ought to be experiencing his presence in what you're doing. That's why he is depicted as being in the midst of the golden lampstands because Jesus resides in this world in his church. And he dwells where his word So number one, I want you to see that he is present, so spend time with him. Number two, the second thing I want you to notice is that he is prepared, so surrender to him. He is prepared, so surrender to him. Notice what it says here in verse 13 in Revelation chapter 1. In talking about Jesus, it says that he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his waist. Those reading this in in the early church would have immediately known what was being talked about. He was wearing the long robe of the priest and the sash that the priest would wear. Usually that sash would have a golden thread woven woven through it. But if you'll notice what it says here, that this is gold completely. It is a picture of Jesus as the king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is our high priest. But I want you to notice You see, when the priests were about the business of offering the sacrifice, they would take that sash, they would take their long robe, they would put their robe down in the sash. Then they would go about making the sacrifice, and when the day had drawn to a close, for the priest to indicate that he had finished making the sacrifices that day, he would take that sash from his waist, he would move it up to his chest, and then anybody coming would know that the sacrifice for that day had been finished but I want you to notice what this scripture says about Jesus it says he has a golden sash around his chest why is that because he made a sacrifice and he's done there's no need for another sacrifice the way has been prepared Jesus said I am the way I am the truth I am the life no one goes to the Father but by me your way to know the Father the one who created the great outdoors has been prepared for you by jesus he is the son of god who intervenes on your behalf before god he is now seated at the right hand of the father by the way in the temple there were no seats because the sacrifice was never finished it was ongoing and ongoing but when jesus made his sacrifice on the cross he went to heaven and sat on the right hand of the father why because he was done He had paid the ultimate price. He had prepared the way for you. He's prepared to surrender to him. Third thing I want you to notice about Jesus from this passage in Revelation 1. He is prevalent, so trust him. He is prevalent, so trust him. Here in uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 14, notice what it says. It says that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Hey, you guys know snow, so you know white. You get it. That's great. I'm going back to where the most white I'll see is grits. And that's good. I'm happy with that too. <laughs> but in the Bible, those who were reading this would have understood that they were, this description that John offered would be taken from Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9, talking about the ancient of days, where it talked about the hair of his. It is like pure wool. In the Bible, white hair represented wisdom. Represented being all wise. Jesus is eternal, all wise. He is prevalent with a wisdom that only comes because he is God. He is the creator of all. And for him, you were created. He knows everything. Listen, he knows everything about you. He knows those things that you've hidden from your husband. He knows those things you've hidden from your wife. He knows those things that you've kept deeply buried that nobody else knows and nobody else understands. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. Wow. I had a thought hit me one day, Pastor Brian, and it drove me to my knees, and it was this there is not anything that I can possibly do to make God love me anymore. Wow. But then the ancillary thought to that also came. There's not anything I can do to make God love me any less. He just loves me. And he sent his son for me because he loved me that much. Listen. Listen. Whatever you're facing, Jesus knows the answer. He is the answer. And he just loves you, period. Not only is he present and prepared and prevalent, but notice that he is penetrating, so let him love you. He is penetrating, so let him love you. Notice what the scripture says here in verse 14 again. It says his eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a a flame of fire. He sees behind our facades and our masks, all the way to your heart. He sees your hurting heart. He sees your closed heart, your sad heart, your broken heart, your hard heart. He sees and knows everything you have ever done. He sees your worst sin. He sees your deepest hurt. He sees it all and things that no one else knows that you have forgotten. He sees and he still loves you. You don't have to hide anymore. Because everything is exposed. He knows you just as you are. He loves you. Several years ago we were filming our show and we were um, in Missouri where we do a lot of our whitetail hunting and what we've done is we've changed now a lot of what we do. We still have our nonprofit that we operate called Promise of Hope. We're in the process of buying land in the middle of South Carolina. We're building a lodge. We're going to house um, wounded heroes free of charge. They'll come. We're also building a dog kennel where we're going to raise service dogs to help those guys that need help with the PTSD and the TBI traumatic brain injury. And all this grew out of our hunting show. And it's just our passion to help these men come to know Jesus. Uh, We've had an extremely successful time. You know, it's amazing when the outdoor Channel shut down our hunting show. We dove into helping churches do like what you did last night. And we've been directly involved as a ministry since 2009 in leading 140,000 unchurched men to Jesus. We have seen God do some amazing things. And many of those have been men who had given up hope. We try to film these guys. We, we, we like to get their story if we can, on, on video, and I can remember on one occasion, we were sitting in a barn in Missouri, and we were interviewing a guy, we had a lot of fellas hunting that, on that hunt, over 25 guys, most of them had lost a limb in some, some way or another, and so we always are making adjustments to help them on the hunt, this guy had not lost any limbs, he was all, uh, he, physically he was all together, but emotionally and mentally he was not, and you could tell, he was as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof, I mean, he was shaking, and you could tell he had a lot of PTSD issues. And so I just asked him, his name was Josh. I said, Josh, tell me your story. What, what's going on with you? He started talking about his four deployments to Afghanistan. And I could tell he was skirting the issue. He really wasn't saying much. Or he was really, really wasn't saying anything hardly at all. And so in the process of him sharing, I, you know, I was just praying under my breath. Lord, what do I do? And all of a sudden, I mean, I just can't even explain this to you. The Lord impressed my heart to quote Psalm 23. And so I thought, wow. And so I just looked at him, I said, Josh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates opened. He buried his head in his hands and he started sobbing. And he looked at me through tears flowing down his cheeks. And he said, there's no God anywhere that will have anything to do with me after what I did in Afghanistan. And so now, in the back of my mind, I'm going, okay, Lord, you opened this Pandora's box. Now, what am I going to do with it? And the Lord said, I told you what to do. Quote Psalm 23. And so I'm running it through my mind. And so I look at Josh, and I say, Josh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. What's next? He restores my soul. And it hit me. I looked at Josh. I said, son, you didn't lose a limb in Afghanistan, but you lost your soul, didn't you? And he just nodded his head and he was sobbing and he was crying. I said, listen to me, son. Listen to me. The Jesus I serve, the shepherd that I have, he is big enough. He is strong enough. He is great enough. He can restore your soul. make a long story short, we got on the floor of that old barn and Josh and I prayed, and Josh gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And his soul was restored. By the way, he left the military. He called me, and he said, I want you to know something. He said, my wife was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. And she passed away. But the kids and I are okay, because we have Jesus. You know what Josh is doing right now? He opened a ranch outside of Boulder, Colorado called Restoration Ranch. And whenever we encounter a soldier who's lost his soul, we send him to Josh. He's got the story to tell about how he found Jesus. And Jesus restored him. Listen to me. That's the Jesus I serve. He is penetrating So let him love you. He knows everything there is to know about you. Just let him love you. I want you to notice also number five. He's pure. So do what he says. He's pure. So do what he says. The scripture says here in Revelation 1 chapter 15. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. That's an interesting phrase when you really look at it. That word bronze there it's often also translated brass but here's the unique thing about it in the original language in which this was written the Greek that word doesn't exist anywhere else you can't find it in Greek literature you can't find it anywhere else except in Revelation 2 18 where it also talks about the feet of Jesus it is the only place this word even exists the interesting thing is That the reason brass or bronze is chosen is because it talks about the fire. It talks about being refined in a furnace. And that picture in and of itself of being refined in a furnace is a picture of judgment. It's a symbol of judgment. In fact, in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there was something called a brass altar where the sacrifice would be brought and given to the priest, and it was the altar that had tasted blood. It was the altar that had seen the sacrifices, where the animals died, and sacrifice, where uh, the sacrifices were offered, where sin was judged. And the picture here of this being the feet of Jesus is, it's saying that that judgment is seen in the feet of Jesus. And, And basically what it's saying is this, folks, he's walked where we've walked. He's felt what we felt. Let me tell you the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world has its list of things that you're supposed to do to approach their deity. Christianity says, this is what God did to come to you. He came and he walked where you have walked. He's experienced what you've experienced. He's felt the pain that you've felt. He has been there. He's felt your hurt, your loneliness, your abuse, your pain, your temptation. He has been tried in the fire and he is pure. And here's the great thing about his purity. It is a purity beyond our grasp. It is expressed by a word we do not understand that we cannot translate. So his purity is beyond any purity that we could ever understand, ever even get our mind around. We cannot fully understand or comprehend what he has felt. But I want you to notice something else about these feet. If you look at them carefully, you'll see the nail scars. Somebody said one time, the only man-made thing in heaven will be the scars on the body of our Savior. Wow. He bears those scars for us because he loves us, because he cares about us, because he took our judgment for us. He's fire-tested. He can carry whatever weight you carry because he has borne your sin. He has carried it, and his purity is something that is beyond our capacity to even express. That's how powerful he is. He is pure, so do what he says. Number six, he is powerful, so listen to him. He is powerful, so listen to him. Remember, John turned to see the voice, and the voice is the word of God. Hey, have you everybody, ever had anybody say to you, hey man, look at the wind. Anybody here ever seen the wind? No, but you can see what the wind does. And in the same way, We see what the voice of God does. God says, let there be light. And guess what happens? There's light. Uh, God says, let there be whatever. And there is whatever. The voice speaks. And it is so powerful. It is beyond our capacity. It is not limited to one tone or one note or one scale on the spectrum. I know there are a lot of voices in our world today. The voices of violence and materialism and anger and hostility. The voices of prejudice and hatred and hurt and abuse. So many voices. So many waters. But one day soon. Oh, people listen to me. One day soon. Are you ready? You ready? You don't act like it. Act like you're ready. One day soon. There is coming a shout. Shout. And when that shout occurs, every other voice will be silenced and every eye will see and everyone will behold that it will be Jesus who shouts. And when he comes back, every other voice will be silenced. I mean, right now it's the still small voice speaking to your heart. Right now it's the voice, if you listen carefully, you'll hear it. It's saying, come to me. Come to me, follow me, trust me. But on that day, according to the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the scripture says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Let me tell you something about my Jesus. His voice is so powerful, he shouts and the dead come out of the grave. That's how powerful he is. So if he is that powerful, don't you think you ought to listen to what he says? Number seven, he's protective. So tell others about him. He's protective. So tell others about him. The scripture tells us in Revelation, at chapter 1 and verse 16, that in his right hand he held seven stars. In his right hand he held seven stars. Well, we know from the, the scripture in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, that those seven stars represent the angels of the seven churches. The word in the original language is the word angelos. Most people believe that it means the messenger or the pastor of the church. See, you didn't know Pastor Brian was a little angel, did you? I don't think he even knows that. I don't think his wife knows that. (laughs) But you see, what God is saying here is, if you want my protection you represent me and I will protect you I have preached at times under death threats just because of what we say and sometimes when you're when you're voicing the truth those kind of things happen is it going to change what I say? not a bit you know why? because I am held in the hand of God until God says that's enough and if that enough means I'm taken out by a bullet then great that's fine you want to see something interesting? Just because of the stance that we take, we often find ourselves under attack. Google Chuck McAllister and Stephen Colbert. He spent 10 minutes on his nightly national show attacking me by name. And showing my picture. And then, then we started getting a lot of threats after that. But, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's all right. Because God is protecting us. And if you want to experience God's protection until he says your purpose is done, then be his representative. Be his messenger. Represent Him where you are. Represent Him at your workplace. Represent Him in your neighborhood. Represent Him by letting people know that you unashamedly serve the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that you're not going to play the politically correct game and just say He's a great man. You are going to let others know that He is in fact the Son of the living God. He is protective. So tell others about Him. He'll protect you as long as your purpose is being fulfilled. Number eight, he is precise, so let him correct you. He is precise, so let him correct you. Notice what the next part of verse 16 says. It talks about the sword that comes out of his mouth. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. It's interesting, when you study in the Scripture, there are two specific words that are used in the Bible for sword. One of them is the word romphi, and it, it, it referred... To the Roman sword that was wielded with both hands. And that sword only had one purpose. That was to decapitate and destroy. It was to absolutely kill. That was the purpose of it. And so it tells us in Revelation 19.15. That from his mouth comes a sharp sword. A ramphai, with which to strike down the nations. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back he is not going to play games. He is going to draw a line in the sand, and there is going to be a judgment that is going to take place. He's going to set the world right, so you need to understand that. That is one edge of that sword. It is the edge of judgment. His voice, his word, a sharp sort of destruction for those who trivialize him. Then there's a second function. There's a second edge to that sword. There's a second word that's used for sword in the Bible, and it's the word machaira. It was the word that referred to a surgeon's scalpel, something that was used with precision to cut away those things that don't need to be there. It's used, in fact, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, where the scripture talks about for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged machira, than any two-edged scalpel, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, this was used as a sword that was used in hand-to-hand combat that would make its way between the folds of the armor so that you could gain prominence over your opponent. You had to get up close and personal to use it. Now here's the thing that John wants us to understand about Jesus. The sword that comes from his mouth. The words that come from him. They're going to cut you. But they're either going to cut you to bless you. Or they're going to cut you to bleed you. You're either going to face the judgment of his words or you are gonna allow him to be the corrector you're gonna allow him to cut away the sin that's in your life and to remove those things that need to be re- removed he knows the wrong you've done he knows the excuses that you've relied on and by his word he wants to use the scalpel of his word to cut away the wrong from your life this two-edged sword will either cut to bleed you or to bless you to condemn or to convict Everyone will be cut by this sword. You will choose which edge will cut you. As for me. I'm saying bring the surgeon's knife on. Cut away the sin in my life. Show me what needs to be removed from me that is wrong so that I can be more like you, so that I can grow more like you. That's what I desire. He is precise. Let him correct you. And then I want you to notice number nine. He is phenomenal, so worship him. He is phenomenal, so worship him. Notice the scripture says in verse... Uh, 16 again, it says, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. You know, I don't know about you guys here, but I'm going to tell you something. In South Carolina, when the sun is at full strength, in the middle of the day at noon, you do not look up at the sun. If you look up at the sun when it is at its full strength, it will absolutely blind you, I promise you. He's all right. Don't worry about him. I was preaching one time and a father grabbed a little boy up and started walking him out the door and the little kid was just crying to the top of his lungs and just as he got to the back door the little boy yelled out, Y'all pray for me, you hear? (laughs) Yeah, the service was pretty much over at that point. (laughs) So y'all pray for that little fellow. I don't know what his daddy's out there doing but y'all pray for him. (laughs) Let me tell you something It is impossible to describe the glory That radiates from Jesus It blinded Paul on the road to Damascus It's like the sun at noon I, I like the way he says it here He says it's like the sun Shining in full strength That's the closest thing he has to even describe it You see Jesus to us is what the sun is Actually to the physical realm I mean, can you imagine in heaven there's not going to be any sun, S-U-N. There's just going to be the sun and His glory, S-O-N. And whatever plants are there, anything else, you know, they need sunlight for photosynthesis. And so the glory of God will be the activator of photosynthesis and everything else. It'll all be about God's glory. Because He is phenomenal. What should our response be? Pretty simple. Just worship Him. That's really all you can do. Just worship Him. And finally, I want you to see this. He is perfect, so put Him above all others. He is perfect, so put Him above all others. Uh, Notice what happens next. This is so powerful. Now, Now, you've got to remember, here in verse 17, John is now beginning to see not the Jesus of his imagination, but Jesus as He really is. And in Revelation chapter 117, the scripture says that as John saw this, he said, I fell at his feet as though dead understand who this is. This is the disciple that is called the beloved disciple in the Gospel of John. This is the disciple that laid his head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper. This is the disciple who came to the cross and stood with the mother of Jesus and to whom Jesus entrusted his mother. This is the disciple that was closer to Jesus than any other disciple and all of a sudden he sees him as he is he experiences him in all of his majesty and all of his glory and all he can do is fall down at his feet as though dead. Let me tell you something. You encounter Jesus, you don't yawn your way through that encounter. I, I was watching Pastor Brown, one of these uh, weird televangelists on TV the other day. You know, these fruitcakes that are on TV. And, and one of them was talking about he was, he was in his bathroom shaving and Jesus appeared and sat on the counter to have a conversation with him. Let me tell you something, Jesus shows up, you don't keep shaving, you fall down at his feet with fear. And that's what John did. And as John fell down at the feet of Jesus, he realizes who Jesus is. But notice what Jesus does. Notice how Jesus responds. The scripture says, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. He's saying, John, get up, son. Listen, I'm before whatever you're facing. I'm after whatever you're facing. I'm first. I'm last. Jesus wants you to see him as he is. He wants to lay his nail scarred hand on you and tell you that he is first and last in your life. That he will always be there before you, He is before whatever you face. He is after whatever you face. He is greater than all. When you see him as he is, you stop serving the Jesus of your imagination. You meet him as he is, and you will realize that every need you have, the answer is found in Jesus. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me tell you something. You listen to me. Every person is going to fall at the feet of Jesus. Everybody. You're going to choose when you're going to fall at the feet of Jesus. In fact, toward the end of this book, there is something called that great white throne judgment. When those who chose not to fall at the feet of Jesus in this world will be brought to stand before him, it'll be a horrible day. It's the resurrection of the damned. And And there they'll stand, just them and God and Jim and Jesus and no place to run and no place to hide. Now listen, please understand this. I'm not going to be there, okay? Not because I'm anybody special, but because I've already chosen to bow at his feet. I settled my case out of court. I settled it at a place called Calvary. And it was done by the blood of Jesus. He took it for me. He took the pain for me. But those who didn't, they will stand there. The books will be presented. Everything you ever thought, said, or did will be revealed. All will be exposed. All secrets will be uncovered. You'll feel the flush of embarrassment and the sting of remorse as you're standing in this holy place with nowhere to go and everything being revealed you'll hide. You'll try to hide your face. You'll sob. You'll look at Jesus. You'll try to offer an excuse. You'll say, oh, Jesus, you don't understand. I I, I didn't know what church to join. I mean, there were Presbyterians. There were nutcase Baptists. There were everybody out there, and I just didn't know who to be a part of, and you'll hear Jesus as he says, I didn't say believe in the church. I said believe in me. Oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. You see, I went to East Bay Calvary on a Sunday morning and they had this fruitcake from the south come up there and preach named Chuck McAllister. And he walked all over the place and he got loud and he just offended me and he upset me. And you'll hear Jesus say, I, I didn't say believe in Chuck McAllister. I said believe in me. Oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. You see, you see Jesus, uh, uh, I knew some people in that church. They cheated me on a business deal. I think that church was filled with hypocrites. I really do believe that, 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 that those people weren't honest. And you'll hear Jesus as he say, as he says, I didn't say believe on the hypocrites. I said believe on me. Oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. You see, my baby died. And I didn't understand why that happened. And, and that diagnosis, when the doctor told me that it was cancer. And then when I got fired from my job, it just didn't make sense and I didn't understand it. And you'll hear Jesus as he says, I, I didn't say believe in your understanding. I said, believe in me. Oh, but Jesus, you just don't understand, please. I I, I, I wasn't going to do anything until I could live it. And you'll hear Jesus as he says, I didn't say believe in yourself. I said believe in me. Oh, but Jesus, you don't understand. You see, I would have done it, but I didn't have time. There was that accident, that heart attack that happened so suddenly. And you'll hear Jesus as he says, you had time on that Sunday morning in February of 2019 when a man of God stood up and opened God's word and explained to you that you could come to him You had time. And then all of a sudden, you'll hang your head in shame as you realize all your excuses have fled from before the holy face of Jesus. The recording angel with hand poised will say, Master, what shall I write? And he'll say, search that book of life. Search it one more time. Find it. Find the name. Look for the name. The angel searches and comes back and looks at Jesus and says, No name. No name, Lord. No name with tears streaming down his cheeks. He looks... At that recording angel. And he says. Right condemned. Right condemned. And then Jesus. Will look at you. And he'll say. Leave me. I never knew you. I can't imagine anything. Any more sobering. Any more frightening any more horrible than having the Son of God look at you and say I never knew you. And then you leave His presence forever. Who is Jesus? He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. The Scripture says God has highly exalted Him in Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Confess now or confess later. The choice is yours. Would you bow your head with me, please? You say, Well, how do I do that? Jesus says later on in this book of Revelation Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 he makes the statement behold I stand at the door and knock and he says if you'll open the door I, I will come in I'll come in, meaning the door of your heart and if you'll invite him to come into your heart he will come but you have to invite him you say well how do I do that just right now, right where you are You'll give me permission. I would like to lead you in a small prayer. and Listen to me. This prayer is important, yes. And yes, it's your way of inviting Jesus to come into your heart. But it is just the first step in the process of you walking with Jesus and following Jesus and trusting Jesus. And so right now, right where you are, pray this in your heart. I promise you, he'll hear you. Just pray it right now. Dear Jesus. I know that you're God's son and I know that I'm a sinner I need you please forgive me and right now Jesus I invite you to come into my heart I surrender my life to you Jesus thank you Jesus it's bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. If you prayed that prayer with me just then. Or maybe you were here last night or the night before. And you prayed and made that surrender. If, if that's the case. Or you prayed with me just now. Would you just lift up your hand right now wherever you are. Just lift it up. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. In the balcony. I didn't get a chance to look. Any hands. Thank you sir. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am I see your hand. Thank you. If you just raised your hand, I want you to look at me for just a second. We're going to probably do something a little bit different and um, it's okay because I'm leaving this afternoon so it'll be all right. but if you just prayed and you made that surrender to me with me, I want to ask you a question. Did you mean it? Did you really mean what you prayed? Just give me a nod. You mean it? You mean it? Awesome. Did you mean it? Awesome. Here's what I'm going to do. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, in just a moment we're going to start singing. And I'm going to ask you to leave you seat. I'm going to ask you to come and just stand right here with me. i want to gather you around. i want to have a prayer with you. Because I believe with all my heart that God wants to do a work in you. There's another group of people I want to speak to for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to be at that great white throne. I'm not going to be there. I've already fallen on his feet, but I'm going to tell you something. I have family. I have friends. I have people that I've encountered who will be there. And I don't want them to stand before Jesus and think, why didn't Chuck tell me about Jesus? Instead, they'll spend eternity maybe crying, why didn't I listen? But I don't want them to cry, why didn't Chuck tell me? How many of you know someone this morning that doesn't know Jesus, but you care about them and you love them? And you're really praying for them. Would you lift up your hand? God bless you. Maybe this is incorrect protocol. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to turn this side of these pews and all this area right over to my right and your left into kind of an altar area. There's something about coming forward. And here's what I want to ask you to do. Those of you that just raised your hands and indicated that you know somebody who needs a relationship with Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to leave your seat in just a moment. When I say amen and we start singing, and find a place to kneel. And here's what I want to challenge you to pray. Pray. Lord, I'm available. See, it's not my place and it's not this church's place to tell you what to do to reach out to that person that's on your heart. But it is God's place to tell you. And listen to His voice. Let Him speak to you. On my left and your right, I'll be standing. For those that prayed with me to make a surrender to Jesus, just come so that I can put a face with your decision so the church can know as well they'll help you through the next steps and stages that you need to go through over here on your left we'll have an area to gather all the way to the front here where you can just come and tell the lord you're available father i want to thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place we feel your presence and help us never to be guilty of serving the Jesus of our imagination. But Jesus, you are who you are, and you have called us to you. I pray for those, Father, who have indicated this morning that they made a surrender of their life to you. And I pray that you would grant them the courage to come and make that decision public to say yes, to not worry about what anybody or any person or any group of people will say, but to get this thing settled in their lives. And I pray for those who need to know what you want them to do to reach out to their loved one. And Father, we pray this not because of who we are, but because of who you are. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. God's calling you. Come right now as we sing. This altar's open. Come right now as we sing.